Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, Worldwide Edition. Our post-Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was February 3rd through February 9th, 1997. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me... <laughs> ah! <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleagues... Dave and John Amendorf. <laughs> nice. I realize I've not uh, corrected my notes to, to find a way to introduce you guys together. Uh, but uh, John, how are you doing today? I'm good. That intro was lovely. I have no notes. <laughs> Dave, what's new with you? Uh, I well, we're recording this just after our like return episode went up, and I want to say that I'm very excited about how the big positive response that we got to it that and. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me just more the fact that like a lot of people are enjoying um, our episodes again makes me more excited to be doing episodes again. Yeah, I was actually saying to my wife that like the most excited I am to work on a podcast episode is when I just finish and upload the last one. Mm-hmm. Like there's this moment of like, okay, people are enjoying it now, and I'm enthusiastic about doing another one. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we'll move on through, uh, of course, the normal worldwide stuff, but. Uh, couple quick notes. Uh, one is that you are, I'm sure, able to tell that this is a, a little bit different audio quality than normal. Uh, we're recording uh, where John is staying out in Hudson, Wisconsin. Uh, so I, instead of bringing my whole rig with all my microphones, I just brought uh, one USB mic. So uh, this is not normally how the shows sound, but uh, it, it'll do for, for one show, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, we just, wa- like, just watched AEW All Out. Uh, fantastic pay-per-view, and we're going to run through our thoughts. Uh, this is going to be a, a two-part, or I, I shouldn't say that, because it's going to be one part. Yeah. Uh, but this will do worldwide, and then at the end, for anyone who's interested, uh, we're going to have an extended discussion on our thoughts on All Out. But no skipping worldwide. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You could skip the All Out stuff if you don't want it. <laughs> How can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat? Right. Uh, this is, of course, another one of our bonus episodes, which follow our Nitro reviews. Uh, maybe you just got uh, jumped in on the show when we came back. Maybe you saw somebody retweet that we were back and you decided to check us out. Uh, so to explain what these episodes are, uh, after each Nitro, we, we put out a little bonus episode where we talk about what was on Raw. We talk about the ratings for that week between the two. Uh, we look at anything that was kind of in the dirt sheets. Uh, we also correct uh, anything that we got wrong in the episode or omitted uh, from either the last episode or the last couple, kind of anything that got pointed out to us by people on Twitter, stuff like that. Uh, so this one is following our recent comeback episode, which was episode 73, where we reviewed the February 3rd, 1997 episode of Monday Nitro. Uh, and before we move on to everything else that happened in that week in wrestling, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. 
Now, of course, uh, we always like to start out the show by fixing our errors and going over anything we missed. So it's time for corrections and omissions. 20 years of Nitro. Would like to make the following corrections. The following corrections. Uh, so I've only got a couple, because for one thing, it's been a long time since our most recent episode, so I don't have anything there. Uh, but one thing that I learned uh, only recently was that at Sold Out, uh, you may remember that there was one point where they showed Sting in the rafters. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Jeff Farmer. That was NWO Sting pretending to be real Sting, oh, because uh, presumably Steve Borden didn't feel like going to Iowa. To... <laughs> what? <laughs> so he wasn't supposed to be the NWO Sting? He was supposed to be... Yeah, it was just... Letting the crowd know, like, yeah, Sting's in the rafters, and, awesome. and, but it wasn't actually him that time. So many levels to that. <laughs> uh, another thing, uh, this is just a small note, something we didn't talk about on our recent Nitro, but uh, I, when I was going through the Wrestling Observer's review of that Nitro episode, uh, Dave Meltzer pointed out that in the DDP-Renegade match, at one point, Renegade, uh, or excuse me, DDP slaps Renegade really hard in the face. And then, as the camera is tight on both of them in the corner, DDP leans in and says, Sorry, man, <laughs> really loudly. What a nice guy. Hey, the nicest guy in wrestling. Uh, I think that's it for corrections and omissions. So let's switch over to the USA Network, because it's time for our Raw Recap. This Raw was called the Royal Rumble Raw. It was the first two-hour edition of the show, which uh, technically at this point is more of an experiment. It has not been announced as a permanent change, okay. uh, but it's something that they're trying. Uh, now, originally the plan uh, was to put this on as a two-hour show at the request of the USA Network, and their plan had been to show the entire Royal Rumble match on Raw. And oh. I think even on some of the weekend shows, the syndicated shows, they had advertised it as such. Uh, and USA requested that because, of course, they're losing in the ratings right now to Nitro. And uh, the 1988 Royal Rumble, which was uh, live on USA, it wasn't yet a pay-per-view at that point. This is the one uh, Jim Duggan won it, I want to say. Uh, that was the highest ever program on the USA Network. It did an 8.2 rating. Whoa. Uh, so, Jeez. yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're losing the ratings to Nitro, and so they go to WWE and say, why don't you put the Royal Rumble on? WWE's, you know, they want to figure out any way they can compete with Nitro, so they say yes. Uh, But word gets to Request and Viewer's Choice. Uh, Those are the pay-per-view companies. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And they are not so keen on the uh, Royal Rumble, which was only, like, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, That being shown for free on television. Uh, And they point out that, in fact, in their contract, there is an exclusivity agreement Mm. Uh, for, I don't know, you know, a number of years or something like that, presumably. Uh, so what they end up putting on Raw, instead of the entire match, is uh, three different 30-second clips. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> well, here's what they should have done. They should have put it on the 88 Rumble. The one that got the huge rating, right? 
They should have just had a Royal Ru Royal Rumble 2. 1997 Royal Rumble Part 2. I had Hacksaw go wire to wire again. <laughs> yeah, or done like a, a Raw Rumble sort of thing. Maybe it's like 20 men instead of 30 men. Oh, yeah, there you go. And just it's something that would easily fit in like uh, one hour, and they could have hyped that up too. That also would have been cool. Yeah. Now, uh, the card rundown for Raw saw Vader defeat Steve Austin by disqualification. Savio Vega defeated Flash Funk. Furnace and Lafon defeated Owen uh, Hart and Davey Boy Smith by countout. Crush defeated Goldust. Triple H defeated Mark Merrow to retain the Intercontinental title. And Taker and Ahmed Johnson defeated Farouk and Mankind. Hmm. Uh, John, I believe you're the only one of the three of us that watched that Raw. You got anything you want to, any insight to offer there? It was uh, really bad. Um, <laughs> it, it's really obvious it was taped, for one thing. Um, but it was... I'm pretty sure they just recorded a house show. The way it was lit was really weird. It was not lit for TV. Like, the hmm. whole crowd was dark, and the ring was, like, overly lit, kind of like uh, the house shows that they used to record. Um, almost all the matches had DQ finishes and things like that. Um, and I also believe this was taped and not live. So, their first two-hour raw, uh, but... Not a live one, which is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, I wondered, you might be right, because maybe since their plan was to originally show the entire Rumble match, and then that got nixed, maybe they alternated uh, stuff that was taped to specifically be raw, and then some other house show junk that they just had in the, you know, in the can. Yeah. And that might be the weird, you know, what you're seeing there. That seems likely. Uh, in the ratings roundup, Raw got a 2.64, and Nitro got a 3.04. Uh, which is pretty close and kind of a disappointing rating for Nitro, uh, since they teased throughout the show that there would be a Hogan versus Piper match. Uh, obviously, that oh, didn't happen, yeah. but you know that mm -hmm. was kind of what they, it was implied that they were building to. Uh, and the first hour was very close. WCW had a 2.76 to a 2.64, uh, but they were still the show that picked up steam as everything kind of kept going, and they easily won the second hour 3.31 to 2.63. Uh, WWF opened with a sizable lead since Austin versus Vader uh, was more of a draw than Ultimo Dragon versus Ray Mendoza Jr. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Uh, and then eventually, you know, within the next segment, WCW picked up the lead and grew it throughout the night. Yeah, because then they they came back pretty quickly with Hogan, or did Hogan start the show? Hogan started the show. Okay. So, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know how those quarter hours break down exactly, but like, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I like going through the ratings. I don't need to go, like, <laughs> in depth. Yeah. This is good radio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I do have a bit of business, and I actually have not gone over this with, with either of you yet, but uh, we used to do on Worldwide Observe This. Then we added Light the Torch. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would like both of those segments, but I'm thinking that from now on in Worldwide, we'll do one or the other oh, uh, sure. instead of both. Because yeah. a lot of times they cover the same ground, and I'm trying to distribute it equally through the two, and it's it's more work than it's worth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And also the way that the news kind of trickles to these guys, because it's still early uh, nascent internet, is like to read all the news that happens in this week I have to read, like, four observers. Because, like, <laughs> sure. he might still get a new fact a month down the road. Yeah. 
Um, so it's like I can condense one observer into this one and then a couple PW torches into the next one. And mm -hmm. uh, that way we'll still cover all the news. You're, you're not going to miss anything as an audience member. Uh, it's just a little easier to organize for me. Uh, that being said, observe this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> observe this, brother! EMLL, which of course is what CMLL was called at the time, is touring Japan for the first time ever and is said to be doing very well in terms of attendance and crowd reaction. Uh, they are talking to Antonio Inoki about holding some kind of joint show at Arena Mexico this summer. Mm. Meltzer mentions that producer-director Ron Howard is developing a documentary about three young wrestlers trying to break into the business. Uh, they're kind of looking at doing like a wrestling version of Hoop Dreams. Oh, okay. Uh, you guys are basketball uh, hoop heads, right? You, you familiar with Hoop Dreams? You remember Hoople that one? Hoople heads. Hoople heads. That's what they say, right? <laughs> Did you guys see Hoop Dreams? You remember that one? I actually haven't seen Hoop Dreams. It's pretty good. It's a it's a good doc, uh, which I believe, yeah, one that won the best documentary Oscar in 1994. So just a few years later, they're looking to replicate that. Uh, but I will tell you. That the movie does eventually get made. Mm -hmm. Ron Howard is still listed as a producer on it. Uh, but it does not end up featuring three young wrestlers who are looking to break into the business. Instead, it looks at one wrestler who's at the height of their career. Uh, another who is contemplating retirement. And a third who is at a career low point. Can you name those wrestlers and the name of this movie? It's, it's, it's not Beyond the Mat, is it? The movie is Beyond the Mat. Okay. Um, person on the... Is it like The Rock as the person on the rise? Uh, you do see The Rock beating the shit out of the person on the rise. <laughs> okay. Uh, specifically, you see him hit this person with about 20 unprotected chair shots. <laughs> while this person's wife and children watch from ringside. Wait, this is 99? That could be anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the documentary is just starting uh, pre-production now. So, yeah, by the time it gets made, it will be, like, 99. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, we're talking about Mick Foley. He's the guy in the rise. Uh, Terry Funk is contemplating retirement. Uh -huh. And Jake Roberts is at a uh, low point <laughs> in his personal and professional life at that point. Does this capture Heroes of Wrestling? Or is that after this comes out? That's not in the movie, and I don't remember if that was happening concurrently and just didn't make the movie uh-huh i think that was after okay i think that was after oh boy heroes of wrestling what a disaster what a show yeah uh melzer says to expect kurt henning in wcw in may i'm looking forward to that i'm a huge fan mm -hmm. uh in the tna rewatches that i've been mentioning he just showed up <laughs> there it's like i think i'm in october 2002 when he showed up uh as like a mystery guest which i guess is fine but like they're on a weekly pay-per-view model. Wouldn't you hype that Kurt Henning is going to make his debut? Yeah. You need to sell pay-per-views. That's the poor business. Was it, was it just... I mean, because you're, you're the one that's watching it. Does it... Do they feel like they're pay-per-views? Or does it feel like that they are running weekly TV shows? It feels like they're running weekly TV shows, for okay. sure. It feels yeah. like Russo TV. More and more, uh, because he is gaining uh, power at this time. And in fact, October 2002, where I'm at is around the time that Dixie and Bob Carter show up with their money. 
Okay. So this, I mean, they were basically going to flame out, uh, but they got saved just in time. Like, just one of the many times they were saved at the last minute Yeah. Uh, that continues to happen to this day. Because yeah, um, I remember, um, wasn't there a point on Nitro a few weeks ago, like in January, that there was like a, uh, a, a coded, like, reference to Mr. Perfect or Kerr Henning? Yes. Uh, possibly shown up, like Bischoff might have said something. Yeah, and I'm... Yeah, I feel like I could sit here all night and try to remember what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. They they have done some hinting, for sure. Right. So, I mean, this... I Because I feel like... Does, does this whole thing kind of play out for a little while because of the whole Lloyds of London? No, stuff? that's later. This plays out oh, for a okay. while because uh, it's questionable... Uh, let's just say Kurt and Vince have different views on whether he fulfilled his contractual obligations or not. Oh, sure. So that's more what it's about. The Lloyds of the back stuff doesn't come up till later. Uh, I, I'm guessing Vince is on the position that no, he hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dennis Rodman's people has told WCW that he had a $500,000 offer to do WrestleMania and be in Goldust Corner. Which, oh, that sure. is a natural, awesome. I believe that 100% that that was right. offered to him. Yep. Um, in order to set up the two as a tag team for SummerSlam. Wow. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so they basically go to WCW because he's worked with WCW before. Uh, in you know Not for a match or anything, but he's yep. had involvement with them. So he's like, okay, I got this offer. And so his people go to WCW and gave them the opportunity to match the offer. Mm. Presumably that was leaked to the Observer to see if people... Are interested enough in order to match that offer? Oh, sure. That's <laughs> like there's a reason it's showing That's up in the observer. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Should we pay them? That? People, <laughs> people want to see the worm <laughs> in WCW. Uh, WCW is up an amazing fifty six percent of the year in 1996 when it comes to live attendance, and their total uh, television ratings increased nine percent. If you aggregate all their programming together, so wow, that's I mean that's good growth, and especially since like uh, Eric Bischoff's model was like to focus on the TV and not necessarily the live shows. The fact that more and more people are still coming to live shows just says, you know, tells you that overall, like people just want to see it whether it's like Nitro or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, having officially announced their first pay per view, ECW has noticeably turned down the blood and brawling outside the ring. Uh, they don't want... It was, you know, a long, uh, arduous fight for them to yeah. convince these pay-per-view companies that they could be responsible. Right. And they weren't just going to put on, like, a guy fucking another guy's eye socket on pay-per-view. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so they don't want any problems with pay-per-view providers or state athletic commissions, because some states, uh, like New York, where they run, still have those for wrestling. Mm. Uh, so they are they're being very good boys. And, right. And girls over at ECW. <laughs> I like it, because I know, like... Barely legal ends with like a blood soaked Terry <laughs> Funk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very obviously, they're a beaten the, and bloodied senior citizen playing in the ring at the end. It's such a Paul Heyman thing, though, to like do everything right, right up to the moment where they can't they yep. change your mind anymore. Mm -hmm. Three minutes before they go off the air. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Okay. <laughs> in case I don't edit that out, uh, that was Dave's chair. It was the chair. It was the chair, I swear. It was the butterfly. <laughs> On the February 8th Memphis TV show, Brian Pillman showed up and uh, continued his heel loose cannon stuff, uh, including one reference to J Lance Russell, who had just returned to mm. announcing in Memphis. Uh, he said that Lance Russell has Alzheimer's, 
and claiming that uh, his personal friend, Dr. Kevorkian, will take care of Russell's problems. <laughs> what a heel. <laughs> <laughs> That's quality. I'd, I like it because you could hear, you could, I could hear in my mind him saying it very sincerely, too. You know. Screaming it. <laughs> right. Screaming it Joey Styles or whatever. <laughs> uh, moving on to WCW Saturday Night results on the February 8th, 1997 Saturday Night. Uh, Villano 4 beat Pat Tanaka, so I guess he oh. put his mask on for that one. <laughs> right. Uh, Ultimo Dragon beat the Cheetah Kid, who I'm pretty sure is Prince Iakea. Oh, I think that, we've yeah. talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Jarrett beat Hugh Morris. The Barbarian and Meng, uh, a.k.a. the Faces of Fear, yep. defeated Jerry Flynn and Mark Starr in a wow. <laughs> high-powered matchup. Yep. Ron Powers beat Bunkhouse Buck. What? <laughs> What is Bunkhouse Not even Buck? Jim Powers? Ron Powers? <laughs> yeah. What a jobber. Wow. Uh, Max uh, toppled... I'm, I'm reading OSWs. They've got the Saturday Night <laughs> results. And whoever's written these, bless their heart, because they don't want to use beat every time. So oh, it says, sure. like, defeated, uh, overcame, uh-huh. uh, downed, Van- toppled. <laughs> yeah. So Max beat Mr. JL. Uh, Conan won over somebody, something called Billy Pearl. Mm-hmm. Roadblock beat Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. What Ooh. a show this is. Alex Wright defeated Devin Storm. And oh. the WCW US champion uh, fought WCW Cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko to a time limit draw. WCW US champion? He missed his name. His name is Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> and that was a test and you passed. Nice. <laughs> yeah, good job, guys. No edit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I... Uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, that that's our worldwide business. We didn't have a ton of it to go through, so that brings us to our AEW All Out. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a review, a discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's got the results. He's going to take us through match by match, and we'll just uh, see what we liked, what we didn't, and uh, maybe find a segment of the night and MVP. So, John, take us away. What uh, what do we start off with? We had one match on the pre-show, the buy-in. Uh, Ten Man Tag, The Best Friends, and The Jurassic Express defeated The Hardy Family Office. Um, I just have to say, Jurassic Express is so over. Yeah. It was awesome. For sure. I mean, this, it was definitely like, it, it felt like a, a match in which they tried to get as many guys that were not on the card involved because there were people running in afterwards and just like lots of like appearances being made. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember much of that match besides like lots of just kind of high spots and things yeah i came in part way through the match i i arrived and the match had already begun um and i'm i'm familiar with you know i was watching AEW at the start and then i kind of tuned out for most of last year mm-hmm. um you know still kind of reading online what's going on but like lower down on the card in AEW, i don't really always know what's going on yeah like it was a surprise to me that private party were heels now um sure Things like that. So I don't have a ton to say about the match. There was kind of a post-match angle where a billion baby faces ran down um, just to get everybody on the show, uh, which is nice. You know, it's always fun. Varsity Mm. Blondes were out there. Dark Order were out there. Um, So yeah, but nothing nothing struck me as bad that I remember or anything, but I was kind of just settling in, getting my stuff in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I just remember Jungle Boy made a guy tap with a snare something. Oh, kind of yeah. like an STF, but he. Yeah, it was like the, it was kind of like does the, an extra hook on the legs. It was, it was like kind of cool. It's kind of like the regal stretch. It was like uh, the snare trap or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, you know. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, 
It was cool. It was yeah. cool. Hey, what can I say? Yeah. It was cool. Uh, so the opening match on the actual all-out main card, uh, Miro uh, successfully defended the TNT Championship against Eddie Kingston. Yeah, that was a great match. It was exactly what you wanted it to be, too. Just the two kind of really physical guys just beating the hell out of each other. It was one of those matches where I didn't feel like anyone really lost from it. Like, I thought Eddie Kingston looked really great. Like, he put, like, he took Miro to the limit, and Mm -hmm. he's, and Miro's whole thing is kind of like, I'm an unstoppable force. Yep. They did, someone, I think Excalibur, before the match started, was saying something like, his average tile defense time is like seven minutes. He was trying to hype him up as, like, he puts him away quickly. Yeah. But yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and his, like, and Miro's chest was all, like, it was, like, purple. Yeah, a big purple handprint on it. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, and that, you know, Eddie Kingston was able to kind of, like, successfully get out of this, uh, his, uh, some, the game over, I think mm-hmm. he calls it. Um, but, yeah, it was. I thought it was a really good match. It, I thought it was a good, like, I think there were a couple of good, like, contenders for, like, the first, like, hot opening match but mm-hmm. I think that was definitely one of them and it did not disappoint yeah that was I think it was a great opening match because Eddie Kingston's so over mm-hmm. um, so you know the crowd's going to be invested in the story right away uh, Miro's also really over both of them are doing just great work right now mm-hmm. uh, and you also know that you're going to get a match that's like hard hitting uh, which it certainly was those guys beat the piss out of each other Yeah, but it's not going to uh it's not going to be like a move spam thing. Like it's not a Young Bucks style match, for example. Uh-huh. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna have a thing where you're gonna set good expectations in terms of storytelling and crowd involvement. Mm-hmm. But like you're still gonna be having your big move fest later because that's not Eddie Kingston style. That's not Miro style. So like perfect opener in terms of getting the crowd energy up without like blowing them out for things that like you're gonna need to save for further up the card. Yeah. Uh, great match. Loved it. Yep. In the next match, uh, John Moxley defeated Satoshi Kojima, uh, his challenger from Japan. Uh, I'm not actually familiar with him, Dave. Do you know more about Kojima? I mean, I know that he is uh, a New Japan wrestler. He's not like high up in the card because he is like 50. Mm-hmm. And they, New Japan has lots of guys that are older that still wrestle, but they mm-hmm. don't, they're just not in important like places on the card. I'm curious though because I also don't know a lot about Kojima. Um, he's just, you know, I've watched a lot of New Japan, but just, he's not a guy that I've I've noticed. I guess mm-hmm. um, is he someone like Yuji uh, uh, Nagata, who like was you know very very high on the card in his younger days and is now kind of there to put over younger guys, or is he just a guy who has always kind of been the mid card who's still just kind of hanging around? No, he was high up in the card because when they introduced him, his little um, Chiron mentioned that he was like a multiple time like. They call him world champion, even though in, like, Japan, they don't often call them, like, world championships. Mm-hmm. But he's a, he's a former, like, uh, world champion. I'm looking it up now, just in case people... Oh, he was an IWGP heavyweight champion twice. Okay. Uh, a tag team champion seven times with Hiroshi Tenzan and Manobu Nakanishi, uh, as well as a lot of uh, titles in all Japan, uh, in the original uh, incarnation of MLW... He had some M- uh, NWA belts. So, yeah, he, uh, okay, he was a big deal. Yeah. We're showing our ignorance of... <laughs> 50-year-old um, Japanese. Right, mess. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, w- I was really impressed with 
Kojima in particular because like we were mentioning uh, he's 50 years old but he looks really good yeah. and he moves really good too it's not just that he has like the physical look he still uh, can go and like this is another one and I, I when we were watching it I kind of mentioned it pretty early on that it's it was a weird way to start the pay-per-view with the two kind of like Haas hard-hitting matches like back-to-back instead of uh, pacing it a little bit more mm-hmm but, but I mean, this again. This was also something like got exactly what we wanted out of it. And more importantly, John Moxley probably got exactly what he wanted out of it, which right. was to get the shit kicked out of him for a bit and then win. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I think for anyone that's seen the show, the bigger news is what was it, what happened right after the match happened. Yep. Um, but I I really enjoyed it, and it made me like just made me a little bit more interested to see like what other more recent matches Kojima's had because. I, I've mentioned like Yuji Nagata because he's also in his early 50s, but like there's a lot of these New Japan guys that are in their older ages in which they kind of they don't have like a lot of the high fly moves or anything like that anymore, mm-hmm. but they basically replace it with just smacking the shit out of each other. <laughs> sure. And it's so much fun to watch. Nagata now is like so much fun to watch, and I'm kind of like I got more interest in seeing some of what maybe what Kojima's done recently. And that's, like, mission accomplished for him, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I also like this match. Um, like you said, a lot of similarities to the opening match, and maybe the placement of the match was questionable, but that's not their fault. Everything that happened bell-to-bell was great. Um, they were both over. You know, the crowd seemed to have a ton of respect for Kojima, and they love Moxley. Uh, both guys gave certainly gave complete effort, and uh, mm-hmm. it was a fun match. I liked it. John, do you like the match? Yeah, I did. Um I think Moxley was like the first really big time superstar that came out, and I think it's good for everyone if they space those guys out. So like you know he and Jericho were a few matches apart before they went like all the big time names at the top of the card and QT Marshall. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I thought the match was great, and Moxley I think is awesome. So then, uh, and uh, just to pat myself on the back, I was mentioning to you guys that I thought a good angle would be post uh, right after the match. That someone, Japanese style, someone come out on the ramp and identify themselves yeah. as kind of the next opponent for the winner. Now, just to dog myself and, and be completely transparent, I did say uh, challenge for the title because I was under the mistaken impression that one of these guys had a title. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was on the line here. <laughs> right. So if I'm going to compliment, if I'm going to brag, I'm also going to bury myself. Uh but uh, that's exactly what happened as Minoru Suzuki came out uh, and indeed made it clear that he would also like to challenge John Moxley. Uh-huh. Uh, he made it very clear. He made it very clear with a series of hard forearms to his face. <laughs> right. uh, they you know, did a very Japanese-style thing where they were trading forearms and just enjoying hurting each other mm-hmm. and stiffing each other, and it was fantastic. Uh, that match is coming up this Wednesday on Rampage. Uh, not Rampage, the other one, Dynamite. Dynamite, yep. Uh, I'm really, really excited. I, I said when he came out, like, uh, he's wrestling in next month in a small town near Fargo, North Dakota, and I had been considering buying tickets. And when he came out, I said, this is probably going to get me to buy tickets to that show. <laughs> yeah. And before All Out had finished, I had indeed purchased tickets yeah. to that show. I, I, was, I was just remarking, because um, Minoru Suzuki notoriously he just wears like little black tights mm-hmm. and, and boots and so during this fight he was wearing like track pants mm-hmm. and it was just really weird but it wasn't like the only really weird like 
enhanced situation we had <laughs> during this. Yeah, paper that game. was a portent of things to come. <laughs> right. I liked them though; they had uh, some like Japanese writing on there, which I thought was neat. Yeah. You know, for all I know, they said like, "Fuck, fuck off." Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you, Minoru's Tim Rutt, yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and he said they were great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the angle came off really well, I think, obviously. Yeah. Uh, John, what was after that? Uh, then next we had the uh, women's uh, AEW Women's Championship match. Uh, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, uh, defeated Chris Statlander. I thought it was a really, really good match. Yeah, I thought this one was uh, fantastic. Both women were super over, which, um, you know, there were some moments throughout that weren't completely smooth, but, like, when... Mm. You're both over, and when you're overall having a good match, it's so easy to overlook a couple things here and there. Yeah. Um, Chris Stantlander is, like, such a hoss. She's so strong. Um, and she doesn't look it. Like, she does not look like some kind of, you know, some like a China type or a Jade Cargill type. She yeah. just, she looks more like the average person, but she is freakishly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, she was going for, like, a superplex, and it looked like something kind of didn't get timed with, uh, with Britt Baker going up. And so Stantlander just kind of deadlifted her into a superplex, which was extremely impressive. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite spots of the match. A um, lot of fun. This was a, you know, this makes it clear that AEW should be highlighting the women more. It feels like everyone is saying that, and yet I, uh, hopefully they start listening because this was a great match, and, and at this point they were three for three. Like, this match did not feel uh, out of place with the two matches that went before it. It was like just continuing a run of great matches mm-hmm. This one just happened to be women, you know? Yeah, and AEW, I feel like in their pay-per-views, their women's matches get enough time, and they have really good matches. It's just how they follow them up on television mm-hmm. is kind of their weakness as they come back with, like, some two- or three-minute segment that doesn't really, you know, add to it. But, um, I so, like, AEW, something they do really well is, like, so many wrestlers look good in defeat. And you don't, yes. you don't feel like that they were just knocked down like a bunch of pegs and... I feel like Chris Stantlander looked great. I mean, when you do like a deadlift move like that, and mm-hmm. my first thought is like that's something Cesaro could do. Mm-hmm. Like that really kind of emphasizes it. And you're right. Like she does not look particularly like beefier or anything like mm-hmm. that compared to others. But they definitely hyped that. That's kind of like a big attribute of hers. But no, I thought it was a really good match. Um, I mean, it was. I mean, it was kind of like expected that Britt Baker was going to win. I, I don't think we've quite run into like her challenger that's going to be like the legitimate challenger to her title just yet. Mm-hmm. But for kind of like the pay-per-view like in between, this was a really a quality match. And it just, um, it, like you said, it, it kind of emphasizes or f- puts a focus back on how they need to just do more with the women wrestlers. I think you make a good point uh, about the way they make their people look good in defeat. Because, like, Chris Statlander hasn't lost this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, she loses, you know, she, because of that record, she earns a title shot. Mm-hmm. She has a great match. She gets some near falls and she loses. But she looks like she could have won if, you know, she was a second away from winning, as they say. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it, she's not quite as good as the champion, mm-hmm. but she's still very good. And one day she can be that. You know, she can get there. And be the champion, yeah. uh, and and the way the match is all kind of structured and laid out makes that clear. Uh, so that's that's a really good point. Yeah, something else I want to say too, um, Tim. You mentioned that to this point through the card, we're three for three with good matches. It's so refreshing watching a show like this in 2021. A wrestling company giving you a show um, 
respecting the audience mm-hmm. um, and building up a show that you do, that is unpredictable, but mm-hmm. they also did every every decision here was like really logical, yes. right? There weren't there weren't like a big DQ finishes, um, and most of the, the finishes were pretty clean, um, but it in ways like you said where everybody gets over. And it's just really refreshing watching that. And like, this is a much better produced show in terms of camera angles and cuts and commentary and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, at this point, this is like the best pay-per-view I've ordered in probably 10 years. Right. Just through three matches. Sure. Uh, What comes next? Uh, Then uh, in a a great uh, tag team cage match, uh, the Lucha Bros, or Lucha Brothers, uh, defeated the Young Bucks for... AEW Tag Team Championships. It's so funny that you were just saying, like, yeah, three matches in, and I'm just having a good time. This is a great pay-per-view. Yeah. The next match is is an all-timer. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's, the, it's just an incredible, incredible cage match. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys, you know, the, just a lot of good back-and-forth wrestling, a lot of fun tag spots. You know, these are guys with a lot of history, yeah. uh, with a lot of, like, you know, things the audience knows. They know super kicks. They know... Sierra Medio, they know um, the package pile driver that Penta does. You know they they know these guys' moves, so there was a lot of fun interplay with that. Uh, the br- the Bucks brought out the uh, shoe with the thumbtacks eventually, yeah, and that turned it into a bloodbath, mm-hmm. uh, and it just kept it got nuts uh, more and more nuts, and then eventually uh, Phoenix jumped off the top of the cage. Uh, onto all three men. They just kind of had, you know, they just went with wrestling logic. Like, Penta's there uh, to help catch his brother and make sure he doesn't die. Yeah. But since uh, they're on the same team, he didn't sell it, whereas the Bucks, like, went <laughs> down like they were hurt. Yeah, he made it like I'm standing in the middle and holding yeah. both these guys. Yeah, so um, it was it was just a great match. Uh, I've seen Brian Alvarez of the Wrestling Observer called it the best cage match of all time. Uh, I would have to think about that. I'm not going to say anything I just saw was the best anything of blank, but yeah, um, like I, I'm willing to entertain the argument. You know, let's let's uh, like you know maybe like I guess it, it depends on maybe if you're counting Hell in the Cell because there's a few of those I might uh, mm. put above that. But sure. uh, it was an incredible match. Uh, definitely the match where like if it's uh, you need to go out of your way to see this one, I'd say that's that's certainly true of this match. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was great too. Um, honestly, and we talked about this a little during the show. Like, this actually isn't really the kind of wrestling I like that much. Um, just the like, kind of like impossible work rate. Um, tons of like really highly choreographed sequences and things like that. That usually isn't for me. But um, I will say that they, um, the Lucha Brothers definitely won me over, though. Like, I'm not a big Bucks guy, mm-hmm. and I, this match didn't really change my opinion of them too much. Um, but I will say I thought the match overall was really good. Um, what do you guys think about cage matches? Are they best off if it's just one fall to a finish? Or do you like escaping the cage to end the feud? Or can it be either one? So I'm going to split the difference and say in a singles match, I like escape the cage. Because I think there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the door. I wish you had to climb over. I think the door is always lame. And anytime a guy wins by walking out a door, it just yeah. seems so stupid. Um, but climbing and jumping and all the stuff you can do with that, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a tag match, 
Like, there's something about that that makes it more fun to me if it's focused on these guys just fighting within the confines of a cage mm-hmm. and how they can use a cage uh, as a weapon. Um, and maybe I'm just saying that because I just saw such a good tag match that was uh, that did not have escape as a as a means of victory. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe if they'd done the exact same match and then the Lucha Bros climbed over the cage and left, then maybe I'd be saying that. I don't know. Right. Um, but in a singles match, I, I really do like. Uh, and it might be just that one of my favorite uh, cage matches is Brett Owen mm-hmm. from SummerSlam '94. Yes. Uh, and that match is completely the idea behind the match is. At all times, they're trying to escape the cage. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, especially when you talk about, like, between singles and tag team. Because I think the logistics of making sure the tag team, like, both guys, if they both have to get out, or if you're having a match where only one has to get out and they win, mm-hmm. like, it would just be... It would be very difficult to book that and make it convincing, I think. But There's like, just a lot more logistics at play when, like, one guy's climbing out and... If it's a singles match, you just have one guy in the mat and he's hurt and he has to get up in time to stop that guy. Yeah. But if it's, you know, with four men in the ring, you, okay, so you've got to get these two guys injured, but one of them still has to get up in time. And then what, it, there's just so much more uh, pieces at play. Yeah. No, because my favorite match of all time is that Brett Owen cage match. And I know it is, it, at the time, it was unique because they had the idea of, like, making all about escaping when mm-hmm. usually cage matches were... You, they fought for like 10 minutes and then, then there was a pinfall. Like people really didn't go for escaping the cage. So, but I, I, I could see it either way. And they said it at the beginning of the, before the match was like, it's pinfall or submission. They didn't say anything about escaping the cage. And I, I'm totally fine with like them changing rules, like wrestlers, wrestling changing the rules about cage matches. And, um, but as far as this match was concerned, like it was phenomenal. I've kind of been like a critic of how the Lucha brothers have been used in AEW, like when it formally became AEW, because their feud with um, the Young Bucks was kind of like a big uh, foundation, mm-hmm. in which they were using for like All In and like their first pay-per-view and things like that. But uh, another thing AEW uh, does really well is that they're able to kind of just make wrestlers mm-hmm. in a single match. Uh, like really recently, we had when Christian Cage beat Kenny Omega, his like kind of uh, lukewarm return suddenly became like one of the hotter stories mm-hmm. and i feel like the same thing here it's like they completely managed to like redeem the lucha bros and and make them like the legitimate tag team in wrestling and and i'm just like super excited for for them to find the titles against like all the different tag teams that they have available and it was interesting how they built the cage too i don't know if the, this is the first AEW cage match i've seen at least but uh the cage was like really tight against the ring apron there yeah. and there was it wasn't like the WCW cages that like had a lot of give to them and were mm-hmm. just kind of cheap wire fences. But I thought it was really interesting how close they were up and how they still used it pretty effectively as a weapon. It was also taller than I feel. It, it seemed like the height of a Hell in the Cell cage Yeah, uh, just didn't have the roof. But it, it seemed like that level of height, which I, I liked a lot. I thought the cage looked great on TV. Came yeah. across yep. really well. Once once I saw them using it, I was like, cages should not have like that ability to go to ringside. I like the idea that it confines you into the ring itself. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I thought that aspect of it and and WWF when they had like just the good old fashioned blue cage, I mean that mm-hmm. was like right up against it. And I, I like that element where it's like you're like further like squeezed in and have you just have to face this other person sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean that cage match was man just crazy awesome 
and and also I didn't leave like knowing that they had like one of those spots where you just like felt awful mm-hmm. seeing it because <laughs> most of the time they did they would do that and like because Ray Phoenix when he went up to the top of the cage you kind of thought something awful was going to happen I was sick to my stomach when <laughs> he fact, was up there the fact he did quote unquote just a crossbody <laughs> yeah I was like what a relief <laughs> yeah you know yep. yeah uh, but yeah it was so great the entrances were outstanding. I felt like they they really redeemed the Lucha Brothers just on their entrance alone. It was so good. Um, just think how many great entrances were ahead later in the evening, too. Oh, yes. Uh, anything else about that uh, the tag team match? No, go watch it if you haven't. Yeah. Yep, that was lovely. Uh, the next match was the Women's Casino Battle Royale match, which was won by the 21st entrant, the Joker. Uh, Ruby Soho, um, Ruby Riot, recently uh, released from WWE, making her AEW debut, uh, winning it pretty cleanly and decisively, and guaranteeing herself a future AEW Women's Title match. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Um, with the the battle royals that AEW does, they're they're the most like WWE thing that they do. Like they're very much they're very into like the really overdone like elements of it of like people barely falling out or like fighting on the apron i mean because they've done a few of these the one the the um i don't even remember what they call it again casino battle royale yeah where they have people like five entrants come in every few minutes three and a half minutes three and a half minutes and they've done a few of these and they're basically all the same you know yeah um, I thought it was a great way to debut Ruby Soho and, and that she needed to... I think she needed to win. It would have been oh, yeah. a rough debut to come in and just, like, get eliminated. Um, um, and there was, there was honestly a lot of people in there. I just had no idea who they were, too. They, they've really... I mean, it's good that they expand their rosters and give so many people tries. Like, it's a good thing mm-hmm. that there's people I don't know, but it also kind of made it difficult for me to figure out, like, okay, who's more elimination prone or who's going to dominate in this mm-hmm. yeah answer is kind of like no one mm-hmm. no one really dominates they just kind of it just kind of plays out and like the person that wins like eliminates one person essentially right yeah a few people got like good spotlights but it's not like um a nyla rose or a jade cargill had the cane spot of eliminating 10 people or something you know right um i yeah i'll keep my thoughts kind of brief bullet points here like a there's too many rules in this Mm-hmm. I think, John, actually, you were the one that pointed that out while we were watching it, but it's absolutely true. Too many fucking rules. Yeah. Um, I said it feels like the King of the Mountain matches in TNA, where there were just <laughs> too many goddamn rules. Not a compliment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think some of the wrestling was rough, which is just kind of typical in a battle royal, but especially because a lot of the women in there, they're just green wrestlers. They don't have yeah. a ton of experience. Um, but that's also just par for the course in a battle royal, where everyone's just kind of in a corner trying not to get in the way of whatever the spot is the camera is supposed to be on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't think this was great or anything, but Battle Royal is always like a bare minimum level of fun that I'm mm-hmm. okay with. Yeah. And the right person won. Uh, and just to see how behind the crowd was for Ruby Soho's debut, uh, they were chanting her name before she even came out. Yeah. When, she, when the song hit Ruby Soho by Rancid, uh, they went nuts. And uh, so that was excellent, and it just shows... Um, not only how crazy it is that she was just released by WWE, 
but how she was used for the years that she was there. Yeah. Uh, because she came out of that this over. Mm-hmm. Like, after years uh-huh. of being the head of a group of jobbers. Yeah. Who, wow. like, broke up and then got back together because WWE had nothing for any of them to do if they weren't a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's still this over, just based on her prior reputation uh, and how much she was able to shine in limited moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, whereas the overall match was whatever, kind of a come down from the cage match, which, like, anything that followed that was going to suffer by yeah. comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the right person won, and that, you know, as long as you're happy at the end, uh, then it was fine. So, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah, this was the fifth match on the show, and while I think we all agree the action wasn't good, it was a good piece of business putting the right person over. Yep. Uh, I can so easily imagine something similar to this happening in WWE only for, you know, Nyla Rose or whoever, someone who's been around too long winning mm. instead of Ruby Soho. Sure. So here it's bringing her in. Obviously the crowd was like rabid for her before she even came out. It's so wild that they're able to promote debuts like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, people bought the show, I'm sure, anticipating her debut and they never once mentioned her. It was awesome. And also how... I also just love the fact that people were still really into Thunder Rosa as well because she was the mm-hmm. other person that the last person eliminated. Because uh, I love Thunder Rosa, I think that she's great. Um, and it, they again, you can tell that they have stars in their yeah. women's division, and they just need to be able. To, I mean, it's kind of a lot of what happens to WWE. I mean, I think recently WWE's pretty can be pretty decent when it comes to just wrestling, women's wrestling airtime. You know, they, mm-hmm. they won't they won't necessarily... It's not just about the championship match. Right. And AEW still kind of feels like that. It's either the champion or who's going after the champion. Mm-hmm. But you can tell there's a lot of, like, really interesting wrestlers that they could have just feuds that weren't aren't for the title. Just to have those out there. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, then the next match we had was uh, the... I don't know, Chris Jericho's career on the line uh, as he defeated uh, MJF. Um, with uh, the Lion Tamer, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Or yeah. Walls of Jericho. Walls of, yeah. Um, yeah, he did the awesome way where he sat back and really cranked on him pretty hard. And um, I personally didn't think it was a great match. I'm not a huge, like, early 50s Jericho guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, like, super over his baby face. MJF does, like, the wrestling one-on-one heel stuff really effectively. Um, the match wasn't for me, but I think it was another good piece of business where the right guy won. Yeah, I think during this match we were just having conversations about our opinions on MJF. <laughs> <laughs> we should add our friend Neil was also here, who's a huge MJF fan. Mm-hmm. And Neil, uh, incidentally, was actually at SummerSlam '94 for the Brett Owen oh, cage nice. match. So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear how he feels those two matches compare. Um, from the yeah, show. and I almost wish Neil was here because he was such a... He was, I think, the most of our group that was watching it, the most into it, uh, this particular mm-hmm. match. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he loves MJF. He loves MJF. Yeah. I started off as being not very into it. I'm not... Like you, uh, like you I'm not super into Jericho at this point. Um, I recognize that a lot of people like him, so it's great that he's there. It's just not for me, that's all. Yeah. Um, and I... I, I hesitate even saying this because he's so universally loved, but MJF is also kind of not for me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those ways specifically being in the ring. He's he's just kind of average. Yeah. He feels uh, more like a sports entertainer 
than the professional wrestling that I like to see. Yeah. Uh, but again, people love him. So I say that with full acknowledgement that I'm in the minority. Mm. I don't want to like run out of the company. He's working. <laughs> he's doing what he's supposed to do. It's just yeah. not for me. That's all. Yeah. Um, but that all that being said is uh, by the end of this match, I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like the last third of it. I don't know if it was my attitude or if the wrestling changed, but by the end of it, I was like, you know what? I, this is good. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love they did a false ending where uh, there was a three count, but Jericho had his foot on the ropes that, um, oh, I forgot her name several times throughout the night. Why the, the Aubrey. ref, Aubrey Edwards, for uh, didn't notice. So a different ref came down and told her and they restarted the match. Uh, you know what, it's wrestling, so I get it. Uh, like I said at the time it happened to you guys. But it does bother me that any other match can end with a dirty finish, a heel cheats, a ref misses something. Mm. This is the only time, you know, and they'll just... Uh, but wrestling has done that since time immemorial. That just is what it, it's going to be. Yeah. The um, referee's decision is final, except <laughs> when it's not. Right. Um, and maybe maybe it's just that Aubrey has been so well protected as like the professional re- uh, ref who gets everything sees everything, doesn't let these shenanigans go on in AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, by the end, I actually was liking this. Dave, what did you think? Well, I, and like you were saying, like both these both guys are still really, really popular in AEW. And I think at this point, they just didn't really have something different for them to do, but they wanted them on the show. So I mm-hmm. think that's kind of why they're, they're, I, I feel like their feud got stretched a little bit longer than expected, especially since MJF just flat out beat Jericho like a this week or yeah, something like that. That, that uh, booking was very strange. Yeah, nine days earlier or something. It seems like what you would have done is never had the the retirement stipulation for Jericho. Yeah. And you have Jericho win the first match. But then I guess how do you justify a set? It just doesn't make any sense for them uh, to go back. They should have swapped the stipulations and mm. had the pay-per-view match where the Judas effect is banned. And then MJF wins at the pay-per-view. Yeah. And then there's no retirement stipulation. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. Or the, that was, that's one way the show could have been. Or the labors of Jericho, the last one is at the pay-per-view. Yeah. Right, yeah. He, he beat someone else in the fifth one, uh, which a lot of people were very confused about. Everyone thought that there was a different opponent for the fifth. I had a lot of people yeah. like on Twitter being like, okay, so who's the fifth one? Everyone was like, that's MJF. And they're like, no, it's the five labors. And then MJF. Yeah. It was their communication on that was not super strong at times. Right. <laughs> yeah. But no, I thought I thought the match was, I thought it was okay. I I was I wasn't I didn't think it was like great or I didn't think it was bad. I think it was kind of what you would expect from the two of them. And I, I I'm just kind of the opinion that I just want to see both of them like just doing something else. Cause mm-hmm. and and maybe this is because I haven't been like watching every single week, but I just feel like this feud's been going on for a long time mm-hmm. um but it i mean again AEW, i think knows how to do business right and they're like in the end the good guy has to win that's how feuds end the good mm-hmm. guy the good guy wins um so I, I i don't really have any other sure. thoughts about that match. Right. hopefully Honestly. that is the end of the feud though because another yeah. sort of wwe fan disease I have is I'm expecting there to be at least one or two more rematches. (laughs) So Jericho gets the big pay-per-view win but loses on some random AEW dark or whatever. I'm thinking about, I keep thinking about specifically that's happening right now is there's this feud between Seth Rollins and Edge. Mm -hmm. And they wrestled just a couple weeks ago at SummerSlam and it was a whole deal about Edge like getting 
the darkness out of him. And he came out to the brood music and flames and he like made Seth Rollins tap out and the feud's just continuing. Mm, they're yeah. still, they're still like Seth Rollins is like being vicious with like attacking people that edge likes mm-hmm. and convincing him to, and it's just like, that's very WWE. Did yeah. he attack Lita? No, <laughs> but I'm sure they could, they, I'm sure she's available for that. I quick, believe she is. Quick side note before we continue. Did you see that uh, Gangrel was supposed to be on Dynamite that week? And then because they used the Brood music on Raw, they were like, ah, shit, we can't use Gangrel now. Oh, no. I, I forget. I don't remember. He wasn't supposed to wrestle. He was... I don't remember if he was going to be with Christian. I, I don't must recall. must have been like Kenny Omega. Or I bet Don Callis brought Gangrel in, too. And, th- and he was yeah. going to bring him out to make fun of Christian in some way. That could, yeah, I wish I could remember exactly, but then they were like, fuck, they used the brood music. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Gangrel. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're not eating this week. <laughs> uh, what was next on the uh, Next match was uh, the big hometown kid, uh, CM Punk, in his first match in seven and a half years, uh, defeated Darby Allen. All right, so we're in about an hour, and I don't want to, I also need to go home and go to bed. It's, it's after midnight. I'm an old man. Yeah. So, because I feel like we could talk about this match for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, because it was it, one of the most interesting matches uh, in terms of just like layout and it just there was something that we all felt and I don't know that this was universal but we all felt in the room like there was something weird uh-huh. about this match and what I've come to decide uh, is just the fact that the only thing that was weird was the opponent that it didn't make a lot of sense for a returning beloved baby face in his hometown mm. uh, to go against the company's like hottest young up-and-coming baby face who also happens to be much smaller than the older guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's almost no way that that match gets wrestled without Punk coming across as the heel for some of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did. He was like the guy kind of slowing things down, putting on rest holds. And so I I didn't always know how to feel about that. It just felt... And I was like, shit, is he blown up? Like, did he come back out of shape? Like, what is happening? Um, And then the end, it really started to pick up. And by the end, I got over it. And I was like, "That that was good. I just don't think it was a good match for him to come back to. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was super over, and like it was great seeing him wrestle. It was great seeing that like he didn't like trip over himself or like yeah. look completely, you know, uh, blown up. Like yeah. he looked good. I have faith that this is going to be a fun run for him. Uh, it just, I just don't think it was the right opponent and the right match layout for his first match back. But you know what? That's who I'm sure he requested uh, that to work with Darby personally. Mm. Um, so at that point, you know, you're bringing him in. Of course, you're going to say yes. So it is what it is. It, it just could have been something better for me. But uh, that's what I got to say. What about you, Dave? Pants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had his uh, Cobra Commander <laughs> pants on. You've been waiting the whole time yeah. to mention the pants. The pants. It was, it, was very, it was very strange to see him wrestling in pants. But I mean, if that's just if he if he decide like I'm just gonna go with like a different look for this run, yeah. then it'll be fine. Like if you see him a couple times and you get used to it, but like first impression was like this is really weird to see mm-hmm. him like that. Yeah, um, I I agree. I thought the match was. I said it like once or twice during the match. I was like, this feels just really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that he wanted to face Darby Allen, and I, there is also this impression that like. Big time wrestlers when they come into AEW have a lot of control mm-hmm. as far as who they face and things like that. But I think you just need to have him go out in Chicago and just face someone that he can just beat. 
you know, not yeah. not someone that it's like the big concern is putting them over or making them look strong like he's supposed to look, make Roman Reigns look strong, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Like, just have him face someone that's like obviously a heel, have like a, you know, a, maybe like a 10-minute match where he's able to just show that he still has all of his like conditioning and he's yep. got it. Then, then face Darby Allen. you know. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go for the trying really hard to put him over right away when people are expecting like just to see the CM Punk is still CM Punk. Right. Cause when we were talking about MJF, I was kind of thinking like, well, what could he do next? And I was thinking how fun the promos would be between him and Punk. Yeah. yeah. But the problem is Punk is going to win that feud. And MJF is another guy like Darby that you shouldn't probably be beating right now True. with guys in their fifties and their forties. Right. Um, I'm loving the company right now and I'm loving some of the aspects that remind me of WCW, mm-hmm. but let's stay away from the negative things <laughs> that you could also easily remind me of WCW. Right. Yeah, I will say um, CM Punk wasn't really booked like a heel, but he dominated the match. Um, and at one point, he seemed content to take a count out. That's right. Which seemed yeah. really out of character for the hometown babyface. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's kind of a tease where maybe he's going to be kind of a tweener or maybe a full-on heel turn coming sometime pretty soon. Um, but he was super over. I thought he got like the best babyface pop of the night. Um, and I, like you guys said, I think he looked really good in the ring too, I, which I was really happy to see. You know who, like two opponents just off the top of my head that would have been fun. Malachi Black, uh, who just won his debut feud mm-hmm. and like, he's young enough. He can bounce back. No problem. So like mm-hmm. he came in, he won a feud very convincingly over Cody. Yeah. Uh, if he loses to Punk in a competitive 10 minute match, that's, that seems fine. Um, and the other one would have been somebody that couldn't have been there tonight uh, because they had a match that was canceled. Uh, but Pac would have been good as well, I think. Yeah, Pac comes out no worse losing to CM Punk. Yep. You know what I yeah. mean? No, there, there. I think there were plenty of good options for him of just having a solid, successful return into the ring, mm-hmm. and then start focusing on like the like make elevating like younger wrestlers. It just it was a very weird, but like like both of you said. The match itself is good. It's a yep. good match. Yeah. It's just not exactly as a fan what you were expecting in the first place. And that's kind of, it kind of gives you a weird feeling. But I'm, I'm sure when I go back and watch it again, I'm like, oh, this is just like a really good match. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Tim, you compared it to like the mid 94 match on Raw between Bret Hart and the 123 kid. Right. Where guy the guys were kind of in similar spots on the card at the time. And that was a good match for Bret Hart at the time because that was like his second title reign and um, you were familiar with him kind of in that role. But Punk coming in right away and having a match like that did feel kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure whatever his next program is is going to be awesome. Um, and overall, I think the match was, was really good. But I agree, it was just a little odd. Yeah. All right. Well, after that, I believe we had the unofficial main event yep. of the evening. The main event of my heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, uh, the next match, was, uh, we kept joking it was going to be the, it was going to close the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, Paul White defeated the great QT Marshall. Yeah. Um, it was a match. <laughs> I was mostly on Twitter making jokes about how I didn't want to watch the match. Uh, right. And the end result was I didn't really watch the match. I have, I, no offense to either one of these guys, uh, I'm, I'm sure they're beautiful men. Um, <laughs> well, okay. But I really, cannot tell you a single thing that happened in the match other than Paul White won. I remember that. I I mean, 
coming into this pay-per-view, it was that match and the Jericho match that I was the least excited about. Jericho and MJF was perfectly fine. Mm. Significantly better. Than significantly this. better. Um, I got what I wanted out of this Paul White match, which is it was about like three minutes long. Yes, that's true. And that he won, so it wasn't... It was maybe just like, here, Paul, here you have a win in the ring now. Right. Go back to commentary. <laughs> yeah, um, it wasn't like when Cena faced Johnny Laurinaitis and you're like, okay, well, this is going to suck, but at least it'll be short. And then it went on forever. Yeah. Or the fucking Michael Cole-Jerry Lawler match. Yes. Uh, at least at least the match you knew was going to be bad was short. Yeah. <laughs> That's all Good you call. can ask. Yeah. It was also the first time I heard the Paul White theme song. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like... They're they're trying so hard to do the Big Show song, but mm. not do the Big Show song, and it's just not that. It's funny. It's just funny how just obvious they're trying to. It's very off. American made. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, then in the main event, uh, AEW champion Kenny Omega uh, defeated Christian Cage to retain the title. Solid match. I thought it was really good. Um, wasn't the best match on the card, but it was a really good championship style match. Mm-hmm. You had the match that you expect out of Kenny Omega with you know some a lot of V triggers and like uh, some final uh, excuse me uh, finisher like uh, back and forth yeah. counters. Is, I cannot stress how late twelve nineteen a.m. <laughs> is for my my <laughs> old parent ass at this point. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm losing function, uh, my ability to speak, but uh, yeah, I like it was a good match. It wasn't uh, like an amazing match, but mm-hmm. uh, I liked it. Both men looked really good. Um, uh, Kenny was gonna win. You like always knew that going in that Kenny was winning yep. that match. Yeah. Uh, so no harm enough. No. <laughs> I'm breaking down, <laughs> Dave. What do you think of the match? <laughs> um, I thought I don't know what I expected out of Christian Cage, but he was a lot more game than I mm. had anticipated because he he's he's an older guy mm-hmm. you know I mean he can still go but I didn't really think that he was gonna be I didn't know how capable he was of like having a, a main event style match and yeah especially after there's a that, that table when he went through the table and like lacerated oh. his yeah. side yeah he speared uh, Kenny Omega off the apron onto a table and the table broke in such a way as to stab Christian yeah. uh, under his lowest rib it looked like uh, it seems superficial because it didn't bleed a lot but it looked very bad at the moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he grabbed his side immediately in a way that was like that is not selling <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right no I thought I thought he was a lot more game than I was kind of anticipating uh, I mean, Kenny Omega is Kenny Omega. He he is good with anyone. Mm-hmm. He can wrestle anyone's style. Like I, I'm never. I would be shocked if I ever saw like him have a bad performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't. I just wasn't quite sure how those two together would be in a very like extended match. And I thought it was really good. Um, and again, AEW really good at like Christian Cage lost, but I don't feel like he lost like a lot of like his position. Yeah, I feel like he's still at the same spot on the card he was when he won the Impact Championship from mm-hmm. on Rampage, which is like pretty high up, probably never going to be the AEW champion, right. but like still a respected vet who can pop in in a main event and like that's good, like and yeah. everyone's fine with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was more of a Christian Cage style match, I think, than a Kenny Omega style, like closer to a WWE style match than like you know, New Japan or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, 
Christian Cage is one of my favorite wrestlers ever. I thought he looked great. Um, and he came out of the match looking strong. And I think the right guy won, especially considering the aftermath. Yes. So in the aftermath, uh, the Young Bucks come out to celebrate with Kenny Omega. Uh, Kenny Omega gets on the mic. He talks about how great he is and there's nobody that can uh, beat him. I, uh, trying to remember all the things that happened here. Oh, they start beating up on Christian. So the Jungle Express come to make the save. Uh, but they beat up on the Jungle Express. Yeah. And then, uh, actually, so the promo from Kenny is after that. They, they yeah. beat up the Jungle Express. He gets on the mic, starts talking about how there's nobody around that can beat him. Uh, nobody who's in this company or anywhere. They're certainly not here in the building. Right. Uh, they're it, probably, anyone who could beat me is dead already. Yeah. It's, it was the most, like, dickhead heel thing to yeah. say. Because, like, everyone is expecting someone to show up. He's doing the most, like... I certainly don't expect right. someone to show up right now. It's like, remember when Heath Slater was doing that thing where he'd call out, uh, like, legend, mm-hmm. like, leading up to, like, the thousandth raw or whatever mm-hmm. it was? Uh-huh. And the week that they're in Arkansas, you know, Sid is going to show up. He comes out, he's like, I'm the man. I'm the man, baby. <laughs> That's the kind of promo Kenny Omega gave. Right. Yeah. And so In the best way. <laughs> yes. Of course, everyone is expecting uh, Brian Danielson. The lights go out. And rather than Brian Danielson, out instead comes Adam Cole Baby. Which I'm so excited for him to be in AEW and yes. not fucking toiling away in NXT. So he comes down to the ring, huge baby face pop. The crowd loves yelling baby. Mm. Uh, he's over as hell. He gets in the ring. And of course, he super kicks Jungle Boy <laughs> and rejoins his friends in the elite. Uh, of course, he used to be good, good friends with those guys. The Bucks kiss him on the cheek. Yeah, uh, they're laughing and having a great time. Uh, Kenny gets back on the mic again to put over well, how great he is. I mean, Adam Cole gets on the mic first. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he gets on the mic. Uh, what a debut for him, huh? You just forget everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. totally forgot he said anything. <laughs> he says the um, story time with Adam Cole, which I remember... I don't think he did that in NXT, but he was doing that in ROH. Because hmm. uh, oh. I remember him doing that in his feud with... Um, when I make these punching motions, don't you guys know who I'm talking about? Mike Tyson, Kyle, Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah. You did know who I was talking <laughs> he's, about. He's, he's the puncher. I slowly shadow box the air, and you were like, "Oh, Kyle O'Reilly, <laughs> Kyle of course." Ryan. Yes. <laughs> um, he was doing the story time thing. I recall at that mm. time. Anyway, anyway, he gets on the mic. He says, uh, "He was basically like, hey, we all of us, we were friends before. Why right. don't you think we would be friends again?' Sort of thing. Like he." And he made some veiled reference to WWE that I can't... Oh, um, No chance in hell. Yeah, he said no chance in hell yeah. anyone can beat us or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so then Kenny gets the mic again and he's going to do his closing thing that he always says, good night or whatever. Again, it's with all the cadence of, mm-hmm. of setting up like, well, the show is definitely ending yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but once again, some surprise music plays. It's Flight of the Valkyries uh, with a shitty hip-hop beat under it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I was just really excited to hear the strings at the beginning, but the overall new version of Flight of the Valkyries uh, sucks. But it doesn't matter because yeah. Brian Danielson himself comes out wearing some khakis and a long sleeve white shirt. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was dressed like Brian Danielson, which is right. part of what people love about him. I know um, he runs down to the ring. 
I, we were all kind of hoping that he would also kick Jungle Boy because that would have been so funny. Oh, God. Poor guy. Uh, but they, he doesn't. He joins they, with the baby faces. They keep debuting guys. They keep hitting <laughs> Jungle Boy. Like 30 guys in the ring. <laughs> so the Lucha Express, uh, Christian Cage and Brian Danielson square off against the Elite and, of course, get the better of them. Danielson hits uh, the knee uh, on... I don't remember. It wasn't Kenny. It was one of the... Jackson guys. Yeah, one of the Bucks. One I the think Bucks. it was Nick. I think it yeah. was Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson. Was it the Hulk Hogan yeah. one? Nick Jackson yeah. was the Hulk Hogan one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that sends the crowd home happy. Oh, I also want to say, too, um, I thought Adam Cole was a good sport to come out and be like the opening act kind of for Daniel, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, um, <laughs> who the entire crowd wanted again. And uh, AEW delivered, but I thought he was a good sport for coming out first yeah, and I mean, they, getting immediately trumped. They basically told Adam Cole, like, you're going to debut and people are going to be disappointed <laughs> that's you, mm-hmm. but then we're going to immediately move on to someone else. Yeah, your debut is, like, kind of a joke yes. in a way. Yeah. But, like, he still is situ- But it works well with the, the, um, the specific, like, dickhead heel aspect of this version of the Elite. Yeah. Um, and, he, like, I just, I really like this this heel work that the Bucks and Adam Cole are doing and Kenny Omega on like sort of a with like a different kind of nerd influence like they're just dickheads and he's like a nerd dickhead yeah um but it's it's great I love it I I'm really happy with the way everything in this company is going right now um we all said at some point during the show I think that we still hope that uh hangman Adam Page is still going to be the star of the future that he's still going to be the man yeah because uh, there's some big names in this company now but i still think the person who takes that belt off kenny omega has to be the hangman um i really really feel strongly about that and i hope that uh now these people are in and we can get them in some proper feuds and this will just be the new norm that these guys are on our show yeah uh then you know let hangman keep pursuing that belt uh maybe he can beat a punk or a brine along the way i'm uh, you know that's what those guys are only have a year or two left, I think, for each of them probably. Mm-hmm. So, um, putting over these stars of tomorrow is going to be a part of the bargain. Yeah, and the, I mean, in AEW right now, it feels like the possibilities are endless as far as matches, as far mm-hmm. as like what can happen, and it's just for wrestling. For a wrestling fan, it's wonderful, you know. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that it's not like a like this heated competition between them and like WWE putting out quality stuff. Because I mean. There might be people listening to this that really like WWE nowadays. And, you know, if you enjoy it, enjoy it. Yeah. You know, I'm not yep. telling you you can't enjoy it. I just feel like it is very low quality. And it's unfortunate that it's not like this like heated competitive, like trying to one up each other sort of thing where it's like WWE is just trying to figure out how to make the biggest profit margins mm-hmm. while AEW is trying to figure out how to make the most fans pretty much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a period where Nitro was really good and Raw was really bad. Yeah. And there was a period, a uh, longer period, where Raw was really good and Nitro was really bad. Mm-hmm. But there was also a really fun period where they were both good shows you wanted to watch. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that was the best part. And so anyone, uh, I'm with you, I do not like what WWE is putting out right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm certainly hoping that they write the ship because it's so much better for me if there's just good wrestling I can watch from both sides. Yeah. And enjoy the differences in the company and have guys, you know, I want, in a perfect world, you have guys that are going back and forth because that makes new exciting matchups in both companies. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. if if a few years MJF shows up in WWE 
And let's just imagine a version of WWE that would know what to do with an MJF. Right, yeah. Uh, like that, he would have a whole new set of people to work with, and it would be great. Yep. Um, so in an ideal world, maybe that'll get figured out. Uh, but until the Vince dies and his doofus son-in-law, mm. or whatever, punks it yeah. in, uh, yep. in the pipe bomb promo. I think he called him a doofus. <laughs> he did, yeah. It's yeah. a good... Uh, so, yeah, overall, I obviously we all love this show, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, I thought it was awesome. Um uh, the three of us actually went to Money in the Bank 2011. I think this is the best wrestling show I've seen since then. Um, similarly, I think it was booked almost perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, everything we wanted, we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was lovely. Yeah. I, I think that every match at least met expectations. Mm-hmm. Most of them, I thought, exceeded expectations. And I thought the debuts that we were hoping for... I mean, we got more debuts mm-hmm. than we hoped for. <laughs> I mean, this... It, it went above and beyond. I felt like this yeah. pay per view, and it, and it makes you excited to watch their shows, which Absolutely. is like mission accomplished for AEW because AEW's whole um, the way that they approach it is like they're they're all about like getting people to watch the shows. Mm-hmm. The pay per views are kind of like a nice bonus sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't focus everything around those. It's around the shows, and it, it makes me want to be able. I mean, it makes me want to. Um, See what happens on Dynamite. Like that was the WCW thing. Like after the pay per views, is like what happens tomorrow on Nitro. Right. Sort of thing. So I think the good difference, um, because it's you know that's another way you can compare it to Nitro and WCW in the '90s, is they were also primarily viewed themselves as a television content company. Yeah. Who put on pay per views because like that's what you did in wrestling, mm-hmm. um, and they always. Like built to those pay per views, but it still ultimately felt like the pay per views were building to the TV. Yes. The difference I feel like with AEW is, though I still agree that the end goal is the TV, the matches at the pay per views still feel special. They still feel like that's a pay per view match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That cage match between the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers, that's not going to be on Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though ultimately, like I think the the goal is to get eyes on Dynamite, you still know when you buy a pay per view. Like, you're getting your fucking money's worth. They're yeah. going to put some extra effort in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a great show. Great time. I'm thrilled about this company. I'm excited to be a wrestling fan again. Uh, loved it. I'm, and thanks uh, to you guys for for staying up and, and talking more about it. I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be, f- like, thinking about this show for the next few days. And I can't remember the last time that was true about wrestling for me. Awesome. Yeah. No, I agree. Same here. So that brings us to our last segment of the night, which is, of course, our segment of the night. (laughs) (laughs) And our MVP. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, of course, of course, my match of the night is Lucha Brothers versus uh, the Young Bucks. That was just incredible. And I'm going to say that my MVP... Uh, I, there's, you know what? There's no rules. There's no rules saying I can't give it to all four of those men. Right. So, uh, my MVP was the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros. <laughs> right. Uh, with a sub, uh, my runner-up being Excalibur. Uh, because oh, he really man. keeps things going well. He, inter- like, uh, I've got my issues with JR, and we did, a, I, I was really, uh, impressed with the way we kept this so positive. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we were kind of kind of rough on JR. Right. <laughs> it, yeah, in the in the room we were pretty rough on JR. So I won't I won't go down that path now, but like mm-hmm. he he kind of interacts with JR. Like JR is at his best I think when Excalibur is interacting with him. Mm-hmm. Um he's so fun with Shivani. Uh so yeah, Excalibur is great. So he's my he's my honorable mention. J Jave. Jave, that's your name, yep. right? Dave, who was your <laughs> match of the night? Uh well, my match of the night is also the cage match. I mean, 
Coming into it, my biggest hope was that the Lucha Bros would win, and they did win in just the most dramatic fashion possible. Mm -hmm. The most Lucha Bro way possible is like the two masked men are the ones that bleed the most, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and my MVP, I'm going to give to Ruby Soho. Mm. There were a few debuts, but I mean, people, someone like Brian Danielson got a lot of like good runs in mm. WWE. Adam Cole got to be champion. Ruby Soho in WWE got like next to no chance mm -hmm. and was there for years. Mm -hmm. And you just, I just felt so happy for her to be doing something that seems like it's more of a focus on her career and like in the ring. And the fact that she comes in and gets to do like the, a program for the, like the championship right away, is so great. And I felt, I just was like really happy for her. So her debut and everything like that, I thought went really well. So she's my MVP. Absolutely. John, what was your match of the night? Uh, I agree. The tag team cage match was, I think, very clearly the best match of the night. Um, not really my style, um, but uh, credit to the Bucks for putting the Lucha Brothers over clean in the middle of the ring. I thought that was great. Um, MVP of the night, I'm just going to give it to my boy CM Punk because I'm kind of a homer. Um, but uh, I think he his match wasn't exactly what I was expecting, but... Um, I was really glad to see him back in the ring, and I'm excited to see what he does next. All right, well, thanks for joining us here on 20 Years of Nitro Worldwide. Uh, hope you enjoyed that extended breakdown of All Out. Uh, if you didn't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. If, but uh, if, if you do enjoy us talking more about modern wrestling, let us know. Uh, because maybe we'll do some more, you know, reactions to current stuff. Uh, but... Uh, I gotta go to bed. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> and I'm gonna go to bed right here with the big boys. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years of Nitro.